And we are back. Thank you for joining us for another day of the dots. As always, I am joined by the Brain Trust, Mr. Chase Taylor. Uh, <clears throat> had a funny thought today. I can't remember what the name of the movie was. Um, but it was old. It was it was an old like early '80s parody type movie, and I'm forg- I, forgive me. I'm forgetting what it was. There's a funny line in there when uh, these two guys are talking. He's like, "Yeah, you know." Yeah, I'm from America. Oh, yeah. And he's like, you, well, I was one of the fortunate ones from America. He goes, fortunate ones? He's like, yeah, I escaped in a hot air balloon during the Carter years. Um, <laughs> and it made me it made me sort of think of what it I, – I was laughing to myself thinking, you know, it kind of sounds like the way this market works. You meet a guy like on the side of the road. You're like, what, man, what happened? Uh, drug addiction, alcohol, what was it? And he's like, no, nah, I was a value investor. <laughs> yep, pretty much. <laughs> um. Another day, you know, another hundred billion dollars or more. Uh, indexes, another great day, of course. Uh, NASDAQ up right around 1%. S&P right up around 0.85. Uh, Dow, we don't care about that. Max uh, 7 was up almost 1.9. Uh, NVIDIA tacked on another 65 bill in market cap today. 70 bill. Slow day for NVIDIA. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Small caps down on the day because, of course, <laughs> it's pretty. It's pretty wild to see stocks that are so expensive. Like whether you think it's value, like whether you think it's worth it or not. Um, I, I I do not get immune to the novelty of seeing stocks rampaging higher in the sense that two to three percent updates or updates for those stocks represent two to three times their annual revenue on a daily, on daily moves. Right. Like you and I were having a discussion about this and we're going to kind of use NVIDIA as a proxy for the rest of the market here. And, you know, I don't think the rest of the market is in the same place, but just for the sake of argument. Um, what, I'm not even sure what it would take to make a move like NVIDIA like you can question whether it's over, whatever. Uh, I'm not even sure what it would, t- when you see stocks moving like this, and, and remember, we're not talking about like some penny stock. Now, granted, if you look at their revenue growth over the last 16 months, it looks like a penny stock that's blown up. I mean, it looks like the early days of. Because they invented, an, invented a new drug. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess they did. I just, when you're looking at companies where, a 3% move either direction equals two and a half to three X their annual revenue. You know what I mean? I, I just, I, I was trying to explain it on a podcast earlier today. I was, uh, I was being interviewed and I just said, maybe it's worth it. Maybe it's not. I, I just don't even know how to handicap something like that. I think the optimistic view of that, the people that are <laughs> are investing in it would tell you who cares. Do if they're what, honest, what, they'll what, say this. no, no, no. What is it? How much did it move versus the revenue it's going to hold five years from now? That That's the way I think those people would frame it. Yo, sure. And I'd look at them and i go, you mean the revenue you think it's going to be five years from now? Because trees now grow to the sky and they will, they just like, this is just a, it's, it's, it's the same idiocy that surrounded Tesla. You know what I mean? It's, and, and when I say idiocy, it's not me saying I know the way this ends and that people that think that are wrong. What I'm saying is that there's not even anything priced in the stock that allows for it being wrong. 
right? Like the stock is priced to perfection based on as, as if the, as if that magical upside story is a lock. I mean, the only way it makes sense is if the most wildly bullish estimates play out plus some. I think a lot of people are going to extrapolate it that way because that's the way it's played out in the last year where every quarter as you know, the estimates are like really high and then it doubles those. Well, I know, but that's, that's the way they've been playing lately. Yeah. But, but I'd look at those people and go, okay, now go back to the math guys. Okay. You're getting out there so far now. It doesn't matter if they keep doubling. That's not going to be enough. If the stock keeps appreciating at this pace. I mean, if they triple revenue from here over the next three years, from here, that stock is nosebleed expensive. Right, and that's I think that's that's the kind of stuff that is is more than priced in, and and very well may happen. But but to your I mean your point is 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 clear. Like, and I think it it goes for all of the all the Mag Seven stuff. Where like, if if something goes wrong, then pretty much all this stuff has to go down 40% to like to go to like even begin to make sense because here, here well here's the other thing nothing can go wrong in the price I, I i'll say it right now i think there's zero chances nvidia gets there and and i'll tell you why gets where gets to where the these are if nvidia gets to where the bulls are arguing it is I, for all the reasons they're arguing it is I, I just i don't think that that will be allowed to happen even by governments because you, you look at the governments around the world that would I, – I just – I think there are so many problems created by that. I, NVIDIA would have every government and every economy buy the short hairs. If, like if, if they you – you, you if their stuff is that needed, if they are that key to all this and they're the only ones that can do it, then they won't be what everybody's saying they will because they're, 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 it's too big of a – that's too big of a threat. Well, I mean you're already seeing that like with the throttling of – of them being able to sell things to, to China, like like that kind of stuff's already happening, and that's th- th- that is one thing I don't think anybody is pricing. At, well, I don't think I know. You, you, look, I, you are reaching a point now. These companies are incredible. Like I'm not saying they're not, but you're reaching a point where one of the risks I don't. The rest of the world is not going to be subsidizing American companies to swallow the entire global economy. They're not going to. They can't. But the problem, the problem is, at least for now, they also can't compete. Well, if they have, if 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 they all develop their own version of a coupang and the government subsidizes it, which you're getting to the point where, if I'm a government, and I can't even believe I'm saying this, if I'm running the if I'm running the economy of one of these other countries, I'm already thinking about that, because if if you just allow them to come in here, and and take over, your companies can't compete against these. You'll just be shipping all your wealth to, to U.S. based uh, and that's, companies. Has been the story for the last of the last decade. No, I know it's but, just rapidly accelerating. Yeah, but what I'm saying is this: for the last decade, our top seven stocks were not the equivalent of 65 percent the entire size of the U.S. economy. Right? I mean, that's that that wasn't the case seven years ago. Yeah, and we're basically half of the global stock market. So yeah, half of the global stock. And I just at some point economically. Other governments are going to step in and start taking Chinese-like actions and just saying, hey, if you want to operate here, it's going to be at lower margins. Or if you want to operate here, you have to do this. Or if you want to operate here, you're going to compete against our government-subsidized version of you. And, and here's the funny thing. I still, we still own some of those companies. I'm not sitting there. 
but going, I did this. No one's going to sit back and let seven companies swallow the entire world. And that's kind of what the market's pricing in. I think it's because at the moment that is what's happening. Right. So the, the the one pushback I would I would say, and I don't really disagree with the the broad thesis there, but the one pushback I would say is, if you say you know what, like you can't do that here, and you try to you know create a national champion that does the same thing and try to bring it up to speed with a bunch of subsidies, the problem is if AI is real and it is revolutionary and it changes the world, um, and it creates a lot of productivity, if it's everything that the hype says it it, it is. You also can't afford to lose in that battle. And if and if these if these companies are the engine of the of of AI, and you decide to take a step down to protect yourself, then you then you kind of lose the AI race, which, which could be the equivalent of losing everything. So like the the risk of saying like, hey, Mag Seven kind of companies, like you don't get to play ball here, or at least not the way you used to, is is losing losing a really important competitive battle. Again, if you view the the downstream of AI as just massively revolutionary. Here, okay, I don't disagree with anything you just said. Uh, my, I guess my whole, what, what I'm starting to look at is um, it's just the number, I just think that just the numbers are so big. I, I mean, you know, if you stopped, right, you know, so I just, I think it is so likely, maybe they don't bar them, but put caps on what they can, I I just, I'll I'll tell you the other thing that looks really, looks really clear to me at this point, Uh, antitrust regulation is just completely failed. Like you, you got to, somebody's got to step in. Yeah. And no one's really done anything. No. And I get why they like, there's, there's plenty of reasons to to the other side. Why not to do it? And exactly what we just talked about. You might lose the, you might lose the big war. If you handicap these companies. Yeah. I just think you can do it. Like it's at you're, (sighs) we're getting into it. Look, if this continue, you're getting into just a dangerous place, man. I mean, there's just way too much power in too few hands. Another thing, and this is just me talking as a citizen. I like, you know, I think a lot of all the listeners know our feelings on the, on the overpriced ones, but you know, then you go look at like a meta, go look at a Google. I, I don't think they're ridiculously overpriced. I'm not insinuating. This is all just fluff. It's quite the opposite. I'm insinuating that these companies, in my opinion, have gotten almost post-economic, meaning I don't think it really matters what economic conditions are. They've got so much muscle, so much size, so much scope, so much reach, and so much money. I, I They can just, you know, yeah, maybe their profits drop in a tough year, but everybody's going to keep buying the stock. Why? Because they're going to take advantage of weakness and they'll increase their market share by 20%. Yeah, and in some ways they're it, it is similar to the Gilded Age operators yeah. um, who are able to to do to throw their weight around in ways like that. You know what's funny? You just brought that up. Everybody has tried to comp this market to so many different things. This market increasingly reminds me of the Gilded Age, yeah. turn of the century, right? Yeah. In so many ways, even socially, because right? it, because it's it's another industrial revolution, and it has a few players at the top. They're in, in, 
wildly wealthy. They're consolidating and, and taking over larger and larger chunks of what makes their their businesses thrive. Like it, there really are a lot of similarities. Even the gilded part, even the even the even the activity of I don't know. Citizens, we, oh yeah. No, during that where it's called the gilded age, right? It's it's. But it, at least we made like really beautiful buildings and stuff back then. Okay, are we going to go down the path of Are we going to go down the path of trees and architecture? The architecture thing fires me up. It's, it's just true. And trees. Yeah, they both do. But yeah, I, w- I won't go down that. It was good. We'll never get out of that rabbit hole. <laughs> no, no. Look, I'm, I'm not. I'm not making any like cultural obs. Like I'm not saying anything like that. I think that there was. I, I, I. I it feels to me like you'd have to be kind of off your rocker not to make the argument that the stuff they made back there was not more beautiful. You know, I, I, I was listening to a comp like, man, every, I can't remember who was saying that every building that goes up, there looks exactly the same, this monstrosity and comparing it. No, I'm with you hundred percent, but you go back and look at like the underbelly, the, the Gilded Age and why it got, it wasn't called the Gilded Age because of the, 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 uh, the anti, the robber barons and stuff. It's called the Gilded Age because everybody was running around, you know, pouring a thin sheet of gold over the top of some, uh, you know what I mean? It was the ultimate show. It, it was like Instagram. It was a Gilded Age, right? Presenting is the cultural thing. Present the, the rich deal up front, right? Make everybody think you're a big deal and underneath the surface, you're not much. I, I Anyway, you're not saying- uh, it, By the way, Gilded Age on HBO. It's a great show if you haven't checked it, it out. It's a phenomenal yeah. show. You and I haven't talked about that. We before. have not. I'm, I'm, I didn't know you watched it. I'm I'm all caught up. We're just waiting for new episodes to roll off here. Yeah, I think, and they and they they did announce they're coming back next year, so Thank we'll get a, a third season. But that's probably months and months away now because the second season was relatively recent. Yeah, I think the best comp to it, though, looking at it, is the Gilded Age. It, it's funny you brought that up. I hadn't really thought about that. I've heard other comps, but the further this cycle goes on, the more and more I'm like, you know, that's because yeah, because I don't like. I don't see any, like we've talked enough about this. I don't see like any impending bubble underneath it, like the real estate, you know, things like that. It just seems so much like the Gilded Age, meaning the excess that comes from success, right? Like it's the part about bubbles that you and I have talked a lot about, which, and I don't think enough people pay enough homage to this, but find me a bubble. And there's probably an example, but not, but find me a bubble that isn't built on something real. Oh, a hundred percent. Right. It and, just gets extrapolated too far and that's where you run into the problems. Right. And it, once you reach to a point where like basically everyone is in on it and they believe in it, that that's when it tends to end. I was, I was listening to Bill Gurley earlier today and he was he made, he made a point that I hadn't really thought of before is like you know in the venture world you you sit back and like a few companies make it, they make it big, they kind of get kind of like tired and slow and like too too bureaucratic and then they they kind of like they leave open a bunch of of opportunities to exploit against them because they're big and slow. And his point was like, but these companies aren't doing that. No, he's they've like, learned that. He's lesson. like, they are not leaving us opportunities in the venture world because like they either do it themselves or they buy it quickly. You know, like they rec- they keep disrupting themselves rapidly. They keep innovating rapidly. Um, Dude, in the and the way it's look, impressive in in that way. And I have personal experience in this. The, the ways that these guys are aware of some of these small companies, it, it blow. We were sitting down there at CES with meetings with Amazon, Microsoft, Hyundai, Tesla. They knew about us. We, we did. Now, we're in the middle of a massive revenue. They knew about us. We did five and a half million in revenue total last year. Yeah, I mean, that's. How in the world do they know about us? Right. It tells you how 
my myopically they're looking at these things and how not myopically they're, they're not going to let no any emerging technology show up and, and surprise them no and they've got people all over it like it's not the small guys that are coming to us it's the big guys coming to us saying we know about your tech and we're like going how right because all we just sell to oem so we don't even have branded stuff on the market right five and a half million in revenue and they all know what's going on it's crazy <laughs> it's crazy Right. You wouldn't even think that that would even cross. You wouldn't even think that that would make the first filter that feeds into the second filter that feeds into the first screen right. of what pops up on their radar. You know what I mean? There's like Vanderbilt knowing about somebody that come up with like a new, a, a slightly new design for a wing nut. And it was like, hey, we know about your wing nut. You know, like what? <laughs> Did that really happen? No, I'm just saying let's take yeah. the, the parallel. Is yeah. Like- I, they, these guys, they are not sleeping on that at all. They're not leaving any weak spots. And if they have to, They'll just come in and same company. It was the deal. Uh, we were even smaller and let more obscure back then. Uh, Google bought from the previous owners of our patents. Google bought the patents of our technology that 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 uh, that relay or that pertain to cell phones because there's a crossover there. They bought them for fifty mil and shelved them. Didn't didn't even use them. I'm sure they have a, a pretty immense shelf of just in case patents. Oh yeah, just stuff that they just took and yeah. just said, "Hey, that might be something. Yeah. We might want it, or at the very least, we don't want to compete against it. We'll pay it. We'll buy yep. it." Yeah. Now, um, anyway, so getting into the just just watching this every day, and and guys, if you've noticed, this is me. Just I kind of feel like I'm talking about this stuff as if I'm standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon, right? Like I'm not telling you to jump. <laughs> I'm not telling you to short it. I'm not telling you this market's about to roll over. I just, there are days where you got to sit back and just, you know, I, I don't know what the right word, but just sit back and be in awe of it all just cause it's, it's amazing. Uh, what else we seeing on data? We get any data out today? Yeah. So really, and we got, uh, mortgage applications, not nothing to report there really. And then consumer credit, definitely something to report. So last month it, it dramatically surprised the upside. And then this month we were expecting a $16 billion jump. In consumer credit, and we got 1.5 billion. So massive miss to the downside for consumer credit. Um, and then consumer cre- mortgages don't fall under that. They, no, they don't. So it's like credit cards, uh, <clears throat> auto loans, stuff like that. So probably not even that. That 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 move really wouldn't be. We couldn't chalk that up to rate volatility. No, it shouldn't be. Um, it, it is volatile data. Well, I shouldn't say that. It's kind of volatile data. It's been volatile lately. But the, I mean, it was a low number. It was the lowest in four months. The credit card uh, was the lowest in six months for balances going higher. So, okay. So, so correct me if I'm wrong. So, the data we got today, though, is actually about what happened in January, correct? Yes. Okay. So, the data that we had, the really hot data we got at the beginning of January was December. Yeah. And that, that matches like card spending data for restaurants, stuff like that. Got it. Red hot December. A lot of people kind of pulled back in January. Now, falling for card spending data like three times, so like I'm done falling for it. So I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna extrapolate that into like retail sales or anything. But it does seem like some things are, are have slowed January from from the holidays. Yeah, for sure. Uh, what else? That was it. So very, like I said, low week, slow week there. Oh, there's one other thing I want to talk about, which was so the New York Fed came out with their kind of same thing consumer credit like metrics uh yesterday and one one particular point i wanted to make was on the under 30 car loan um delinquencies 
those are at 4.8 now. I mean, they were under three last year. Uh, just moving, moving higher. So the, the peak, put that into context. Yeah. So us, yeah. The, the peak in the, in the, in the financial crisis was 5.6%. Dang. So we, we but could, that was economy wide. Correct. So I, I'm, what I'm speaking of specifically is 30 and under people under 30, their car loan delinquencies. So we could, we could actually put in a new high versus the, the financial crisis for young people having problems paying, paying on car loans. Now it's really bad for credit cards and stuff too, but that one stood out to me because I looked at the chart and I'm like, okay, that you get a little bit of unemployment and, and you're hitting a new all time high for delinquencies on, on automobiles. And quick. Yeah. I mean, we're, you were under three, like no time ago. And they're still climbing. And, and like all delinquencies for everything are still climbing. So credit cards, uh, auto loans, personal loans, all that kind of stuff. Like you're still seeing problems. The one area you don't really see problems, mortgages, which I mean, that honestly, it makes a lot of sense. But you, 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 we were talking on our investment call this morning is if I didn't know. If, if you just dropped me down here and you told me the economic data and then you showed me the stock market, but I couldn't look back like years in advance, you know, years behind, you just showed me what was going on and I'd be like, Oh, you're at the beginning of a cycle. Yeah. So I, I uh, because you, you, you remember, remember us talking about that in the call where I was like, the market is behaving like it's beginning cycle, right? And it's looking through the bad data, which is normal. You know, usually, usually PEs yeah, who cares whenever shoot up at right. the beginning of a cycle too, right. right? It feels like that. It looks like that. You just then you look at the data and you're like nothing else looks really cycle. So Ben Hunt characterized it perfectly in my opinion. He 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 said the data looked like a mid cycle acceleration, and I I can get down with that. I I think you know theoretically we should be late cycle given what's happened with rates and everything. I would be into, so I didn't read that piece. Did he did he did he spend any time explaining why I? Because I don't disagree with that statement. To me, it looks more like early cycle. What? What? what how did he delineate? Did he explain why he thinks it's more mid cycle versus early? Well, n- no, and it was just a tweet, so not like a piece. But here, here's the way I'm looking at it. So we did not have a recession, right, in the last couple of years. But we, what, what we did have was a freight recession, an earnings recession, and a manufacturing recession. Yep, they're all dead. That's all over. Yeah, like we're coming out of all of those. And then you look globally, we're coming out of a basically a, a semiconductor. Um, recession. You're coming out of a, a big export out of Asia in general recession. Uh, consumer electronics, like all these things that, I mean, they had some pretty nasty rough patches the last couple of years. Um, and all those things are bottoming and starting to move higher. Um, the hard part though, to me is like, you look at stuff like these delinquencies and, and look at, you just do the math on where a lot of these private equity firms will, will be if we don't cut rates in the next you know year or something. And you realize like, well, we can't really be early cycle. It doesn't really make sense unless you do – unless the Fed like actually does a bunch of cuts, like then fine. Like maybe we are early cycle. But if they're going to leave rates around here, you're not, you're not early cycle. It doesn't make sense to go take rates where we did and call it early cycle. But to say mid-cycle, re-acceleration, to me that that perfectly that perfectly describes what, in, in my opinion, the data suggests right now. Yeah, I think it's uh, yeah, it could. I, I think it's really now, hard to think of this. Does it does it bounce for three months or three years? I, I, yeah, I don't know. But right, right. I, I think the tough thing about it is, and this kind of goes back to conversations that we've had about the yield curve. 
I, I think it's really hard, at least for me, to talk cyclically because the only way we can talk cyclically by definition is to compare to previous cycles. And this is just so not anything like a previous cycle for, for yeah. a lot of reasons that we all know, right? Some of them for ridiculous fed, stupid stuff, COVID being another, right? School. Yeah. And I just, it, that's the toughest part about this environment is just, he could, that could be, that could, you know, we could look back three years from now and go ding, ding, ding. He was dead on the money. But at this point, I feel like we're all throwing darts at a board because there's no. We are. So this made me think. We're, like, we're, we're literally off the map, right? Like, yeah. like, like we're just off the map. The, the smartest person was was Dario Perkins who said this like 18 months ago. Look, the cycle, this is so different from everything else. There's like no point in even like. Calling it. Even like, looking right. at cycles. Yeah. Um, but something I was thinking about today. Well, and, and, and here's, here's, and I, I don't want to interrupt you. Yeah, I don't want you to lose that thought. But, but, but. I, I think one thing that I really want that people need to understand, one of the biggest reasons from that, we've had a lot of these one-off, crazy, unheard of events. The other thing that that I think that we haven't paid enough attention to is if you look at government and central bank intervention over this entire cycle, we can talk about this and that. But if you bake it down to the most simple terms, right, which I, you know, me and my small brain, I love to do, make it as simple as you possibly can. Um, basically what central banks did for the last 15 or 17 years, whatever the case may be, is basically use printed money to drown out the impulse of macro movements, right? It, and it's one of the reasons that I've talked about the yield curve before being an impending indicator for recession, but I've also always thrown that caveat in there going, guys, when you look at how much manipulation there's been of the yield curve, it is impossible for us to think it means the same thing it did 40 years ago. Now, maybe it does. And I would love, you know, you know me, Mr. Fundamental, you know, all that. I would love to believe it does, but I can't look at the data set and make that assumption because the inputs are so different. Yeah. As I've mentioned before, Kevin Meir talked me out of it being still legit because of the way monetary policy changed in 08. Um, and it, oh, of course it's Kevin Muir that talks you out of it. You don't listen to me. <laughs> That's right. Uh, moving on. <laughs> Guy doesn't even pay the paycheck and you still listen to him first. No, he could though. He could. He's got a lot of money. Um, so what I, what I was going to mention a minute ago was this is something that, that came to me driving yesterday or today. I, was, I just had this thought. Well, we had this like, oh, everyone predicted a recession in 2023, which is true. Like it, it became like a lot of people predicting it. Yours truly. Yeah, exactly. I, I was all over that. And then but I was thinking back to like the few people that were, were right. The, pe the people that are like, no, 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 we're not going to have. Druck and Miller did too, which I think is important to put in there. Yeah. It makes me feel better. Yeah. We're drunk. Yeah. Moving on. Yeah. Move, move on. <laughs> so, um, so I started thinking like how impressive it is to me, the people that got that right, because it is impressive to me. But then I started thinking about it as, you know what, like how, of all the people that, that were, that said, I don't think we're having a recession. How many of those people said, not only are we not having a recession, we're going to have some some growth quarters, four or five percent. Um, productivity is going to be on the moon. Well, stocks are going to go rip to new all time highs. Like like nobody said that. So like I was starting to think about, I was like, obviously people that were bearish on the economy were dead wrong, but even people that were less less bearish or bullish on the economy, none of them called this out. the The Fed had twenty twenty three growth at half a percent. So like part of me wants to give the Fed credit because Jay Powell was like. I don't think we're having a recession. Even when his staff said, I think, hey, we're going to have a little recession. Jay Powell's like, nah. But it's not like Jay Powell was out there saying, ah, we're going to have 4 or 5% growth. You know, like 
this this has literally caught everybody off guard. I don't I don't know anyone that thought we're going to have this kind of growth, you know, this kind of uh market reaction, like all all, all of it. Like it is it has swamped everyone's uh, understanding and viewpoints of, of the last year. I think. Behold the powers of liquidity. Yeah, and I mean, that's. I, I I honestly, it's it's watching the last year. You and I have had these conversations for a while, talking about rates or liquidity and all that kind of stuff. Um, <clears throat> I, what I've witnessed over the last year, year and a half, has really cemented it for me. I think that. I think interest rates are impactful because of the way that they impact liquidity. Right. I think that's why they're impactful. So when you're raising rates and you're pumping liquidity in the back end, it's like I've said before too many right. times. And this is this is Michael Howell's entire framework that rates aren't the thing, it's liquidity. I all right. the evidence yeah, points yeah, that exactly. that's correct. All the evidence points that's correct. And Here's, here's the reason I think why, and I've spent a lot of time thinking about this, especially in this type of environment, okay? If people believe the – if they can get credit, if everybody can get access to credit, and they believe the underlying asset is going up in value, it doesn't matter what the short-term cash flow situation looks like. Yep. Right? If they can – and if they can all keep access to credit, as long as that attitude remains, they will be proven right. Those asset prices will continue to climb. Just more dollars chasing fewer goods, yep. right? Yeah, and every dollar that assets go up becomes more collateral to do more of it, and so it 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 can be a snowball. It's the old thing. I wish I would have listened to the joke I'd have listened to several years ago because it was a simple little joke, and there was so much, in my opinion, there was so much data, so much truth in it, and also so much foretelling of future events, which is a rolling loan gathers no loss. As long as you can keep it moving. Yeah, exactly. As long as you can keep it moving. I don't know if you saw a tweet that I retweeted the other day, but it was talking about, and and I'm going to botch it, but I'll give you the basic idea. A money management firm was securitizing its own debt to sell to its investors. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's like the the private equity guys are all, uh, they're borrowing to just pay themselves dividends and stuff now. Right, right. So that's where I go to the <clears throat> the early like seven mid- eight nine percent. Yeah, that's where I go to the early mid cycle guys, and I'm like, guys, this ain't earlier mid cycle behavior. It's just not right. BlackRock trying to launch an ETF for private equity after everybody's been boxing retail out of private equity for the last fifteen years. Again, these are not things you see mid or late or early cycle. But again, going back to what we were saying about cycles. I don't know that they exist anymore as long as central banks and governments are going to do what they do. Yeah. Central banks had liquidity and governments run set six, 7% deficits. It is real tough. It's just, it just is. Yeah. Because, and, and, and because, you know, like you've said many times, recessions are ca- recessions or growth are calculated on nominal, on a nominal basis. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes it, it really is just the denominator. And, and that goes for like what we were talking about earlier with, with kind of the way you try to value and, and look ahead on uh, uh, some of these, you know, mag seven type stocks, like if M2 goes high enough, all those crazy targets can happen for no other reason than, than the denominator. That's why if you, if you look at a, uh, if you look at a, a chart of the queues and you don't look at it on a log chart, it looks absolutely insane because of the, 
you know, the, the growth rate that, that we've gotten to versus, you know, 30 years ago or something, you have to look at it log for it to even make sense in your, in your, in your mind, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, it, it, <clears throat> and, and, but then, but then you look at the Q's versus gold or you look at the Q's versus M2 and all of a sudden it's like, Oh, this isn't that bad. No, it starts to make a little more right. sense. Um, you know, and then you flip around too, like to be fair now, uh, you know, full disclosure, we own it, but you know, meta, right? Look at 30, 23% year over year revenue growth, 156% year over year operating. Uh, yeah. Uh, that number didn't impress me nearly as much. As that was just because they fired growth. people. Yeah. Well, and, and because you had, you had the last quarter of metaverse yeah. spending roll off. off. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that was it's still a lot for a company. That oh, big. I, w- I don't care how you got there. That big. I don't care how you got there. No, the, we're seeing numbers out of these companies that are, that are completely incomparable to anything we've ever seen in finance margins. I, you name it across the board. And that's where, um, and, and people are like, oh, you're always, I hear these comments. I'm like, you're beating up on those. Guys. I'm really not, man. Part of me sits back in awe of what they've done. They've created businesses like we've never seen before with scope that we've never seen. You know, I mean, it's just unbelievable. What I'm saying though, is that you, we don't need to extrapolate this out 20 years, extrapolate out five. You got a problem, right? And this isn't good for our society. And it's not going to be good for the world. And I can guarantee you, it's not going to improve our relations, our foreign relations. It's not going to. I, I just. I mean, already, it, we already have strains with Europe over this stuff because they they have tried to regulate these these companies a little more, you know, forcefully. And then it turns to a spat where we have to punch back at them in some way. I and here's the crazy part, man. I sympathize with all sides. Right. Especially the way they dodged everybody's taxes by being in, you know, Ireland and that kind of stuff and or, you know, offshore tax havens. And so now, now there, there is a part of me that, that despises mo- most of those companies because of the way that I think that they have taken advantage of the public trust and some of the stuff they've sure, done. Absolutely. But if I just sit back and look at it business to business, I can sympathize with them. I can sympathize with us shouting back at Europe over those. And I can certainly sympathize yeah, with Europe it, for right. shutting it down. Absolutely. I, I, and, and that to me, as I just, I, I think that that risk, I don't even really see that as a risk. I, 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 I don't really think the world can, and I don't think they will allow it to continue the way it is. It, it just becomes too big of a risk. It even becomes a risk here domestically. hundred percent. I mean, and, when you, and, have, and it, you have five to seven companies that are worth, or even 10 companies that are worth, that are US based, that are worth the size of our entire economy, by definition, they hold a scary amount of power that isn't good for democracy. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, this, this, this kind of stuff leads to populism, and then populism leads to the, the, really the, the Teddy Roosevelt kind people that will do something about it. So or, you, you or, probably, you, you, it has to get really ugly and really weird, and then you probably get one party control where they can actually do something about it. Well, and that's what's scary about this environment is I really hope the old adage of America holds true and we'll do the same things. You know, the old adage, like Winston Churchill said, we eventually do the right thing after we've tried everything else. I hope that rings true. What scares me about that is that I'm afraid that the answer to that might be far worse than the problem we're discussing. Oh, that, yeah, that's, that is always, you know, to use, I think another Roosevelt quote, uh, like at that point you're riding the tiger. Yeah, and if it's hard to get oh, off the, it's hard to get off the tiger. Yeah, so that was a long one. Sorry, guys, that was just a 
that was just one of those days. Um, so anyway, thanks for anything else that we want. What, what do we got coming up for the rest of the week that we need to pay attention to? Uh, jobless claims tomorrow and then the CPI revisions Friday. That, that's really it. Okay. So kind of a slow week then. Yep. Well, it feels slow coming after the Super Bowl. Exactly. All right, you guys. Well, thanks for joining us again. And uh, we will see you again tomorrow. Um, as always, give us a subscribe if you can. Uh, we don't make any money off it. No paywall. Just helps us get even better, more compelling guests. We got a couple heading your way here on the on the proper uh, podcast. But all this stuff, no paywall, guys. Daily Dots, regular shows on the weekends, plus the interviews. Go to knowyourriskradio.com. Until tomorrow. You're listening to the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referenced for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor.